Welcome back to Range Anxiety. It's that midweek session, and I'm stuck in some really noisy traffic today. You'll hear dirty, stinking trucks belching diesel and all sorts of shit going on. But anyway, enough of that. That's life, isn't it, for now? Um, Black Betty, the intro track from Ram Jam. Oh, Black Betty, bam lamb right? Black Betty. Now, what the hell has that got to do with the midweek? Epicast. Well, I'm feeling kind of philosophical today, so I thought I'd tell you the story of two companies. And those two companies, well, they sort of have a little bit to do with cars now, but they're not what you would describe as car companies. But it shows you, I think, it's the most accurate look into the crystal bowl that we have as to what's going to be happening uh, with cars in the, and car companies, more to the point, in the future. Yes, even Stellantis may well get boned. Anyway, Black Betty, Black Betty, Black Betty, Blackberry. Does anyone remember Blackberry? What a great little company. Started in the oh, late, very, very late 90s, early 2000s in Canada, a company called RIM. Yep, they good RIM job, that one. Research in motion, get a job. And they were responsible for some clever little devices. In fact, what brought BlackBerry to the fore was like a numerical pager device that could send messages between themselves. Okay, so BlackBerry, if you know anything about them, are always big into um, their own internal sort of end-to-end encryption of their messages. You know, they used to swan around and uh, make like they were unhackable. So a lot of politicians... Movie stars, all sorts of people like that would have a BlackBerry. And of course, once they got this little tiny device working, they transitioned to phones. And, you know, Book Club will be so happy with me here because they don't actually realize uh, they're taking the piss out of themselves by calling Tesla's Telstra's. Because ultimately, there is a, a much of a similarity, as you're going to see. Now, BlackBerry came out with some good phones. Now, they were all based around uh, the QWERTY keyboard. They actually all had a proper keyboard on them, where other phones of the time, like your Nokias or whatever, would have little, um, you know, uh, numeric keys that had letter meanings that you had pressed several times. I forget what that's called. But a BlackBerry had a QWERTY keyboard. So you could sit there and you could bash away with your thumbs. It was designed to be used by your thumbs or one finger, but mainly thumbs. And write messages. And people used to like that because it became the messaging device of default, really, even the very first BlackBerry phones. And there was a very good reason for this. BlackBerry back then, in the early 2000s, were a super innovative company. You see, your normal uh, phone and with a normal phone carrier that used, I don't know what even the network was then. It wasn't even 3G way back when. It was just some horrible old analog network. They used to charge you. Does anyone remember getting charged for like 30 cents for an SMS message? Do you remember that? You used to get, your data plans were like limited, you know, by how many free SMS you could get, even if even if you could even get free SMS. But, you know, it was easy to spend two, $300 in a billing cycle on SMS. I mean, kids today wouldn't understand that because it's all free. But BlackBerry, the strength of what they did and what shot them to stardom really in the mainstream, was the fact that they had their own messaging system that was free, right? It was it was short, it was compact, it was truncated uh, so that it wouldn't suffer bandwidth problems and, and it could go from BlackBerry to BlackBerry 
and just work and you didn't get charged for it and it did it just worked and blackberry were a revelation and they made a squintillion uh, amount of money floated on the nasdaq at the time they were worth billions and i think it was up to 66 billion was their valuation back then some 15 or 16 years ago it was absolutely incredible but then things started to change uh, and first blackberry bought into a software company a software technology called qnx remember that because that's going to be really really important later on in the epicast but yeah they they used also this very effective form of what we call guerrilla marketing where you know people would be working away with their laptops celebs famous people stockbrokers people on the floor of the stock exchange and they go up and say hey try this for three months or a month and give it back if you don't like it if not just keep it and all of a sudden big stupid old compact laptops and osborns and you know all of those big things that used to like be like a workout carrying them around they're replaced by something that went into the palm of your hand and it could send emails and could do things that was and send internal messages and it was safe and secure it was just a revelation and blackberry worked with internet 1.0 and it just it was actually a device made for internet 1.0 but anyway they thought they might have a look at developing an actual operating system so with that blackberry bought a company called i think it's qnx software company and this is the beginning of the end um, for blackberry they made too much money too quickly and they had a management or a board that couldn't see beyond tomorrow but you see at the time as blackberry were at the peak of their game there was this guy he was actually running a computer company and quite successfully this guy's name was steve jobs now we all know the late steve jobs of apple fame but he looked and he looked into the future and he, he looked at uh, making an ipod connected to the internet and he looked at the way he set up like hit squads teams that would look at the way that humans um interface to software and it's just it was just super crazy and it was something that was never heard of or seen or done properly before so the biggest problem jobs could see was the stupid screens that everything had uh the best the best technology around back then was a technology called capacitive touch screen oh sorry resistive touch screen which is what you saw in a uh in an atm or anything like that where you have to press hard on the screen and that's cool and that works if, if you're running an ATM, but it doesn't work if you've got a tiny device and you need to push on things. It doesn't work really nice. So there had to be a better technology and there was. I forget the name of the company, Finger, oh, Finger Magic. No, it's not Finger Magic, but Finger something or other was a company that had developed this uh, technology that was capacitive touchscreen, Fingerworks, I think they were called. And... That allowed you just to, it allowed you to just control the screen in a more fine fashion. So, you know, once upon a time where to zoom in on a picture, you'd have to right click, select your zoom, click again. This, you just, as we know now, you just spread your fingers on it and boom, up it goes. And that's all to do with finger works. Now, Jobs decided that for his product that was going to be an, uh, an iPod that was connected, he had this technology and then he thought well 
why don't we just incorporate a phone into it as well? Not so hard to do. And all of the cool um, features of the App Store, which existed, I think, for iPods at the time, would then become available on uh, the phone. Now, Jobs worked a lot of people so hard on this that they, you know, broke up their marriages and, you know, their mental breakdowns and stuff. But anyway, I think it was 07, there was this revelation and the iPhone, the first iPhone based on, I reckon it was a specialized version of the Mac operating system was shown off at one of their tech days and people were just blown away. But how's it going to work? has no keyboard well we all know now like we saw if we saw something with a keyboard we'd just laugh but that wasn't the real problem the real problem was that caused the fork in the road is that there wasn't enough bandwidth right on the existing comms platforms to allow sending of big pictures and allow huge amounts of data to be going back and forth over that network and at the time uh, the guys running BlackBerry said, this isn't going to work. Apple are going to fall flat on their face. What a load of shit. We're doing it much, much better. Now, what does this remind you of? <laughs> right. But they were right. Just as some of the legacy car manufacturers might be right now, the network there wasn't to support these things. Apple faced lawsuits because people were losing important comms. Devices were crashing out. Calls were being dropped. Shit just didn't work like Steve Jobs thought it was going to work, right? And this went on. It was a disaster for about 12 to 18 months, and BlackBerry sales just kept surging. You know, they were up to 60, 55 million handsets or 50 million handsets a year at about 2011, <clears throat> while well, iPhone 2 was coming on board. But you see, what they... What they didn't realize, they took the eye off the bowl, is that Apple weren't a bunch of dumb fuckers, right? Apple was smart. They were tech savvy. They had incredible software engineers. And they were going to fix this. And guess what? They did. They were fixing software to allow their dream of the future to become true, while BlackBerry were leaving their primitive QNX sort of operating system in place and designing a different packages and different looking keyboards. Do you see what happened here? BlackBerry was so far up themselves that they took their eye off the ball to the point where not only did they let Apple run past them, but a whole bunch of new startups. So let's say a BlackBerry, a Legacy Auto, Apple, Tesla, and all the Android devices that just piled on board during that gap are your Koreans, Chinese, and all the other car companies that have thought, let's stop everything we're doing and let's start looking to see how we're going to be alive in a few years' time. All the while, BlackBerry were happy with QNX and it just didn't work. People didn't like it. So within, I think, a two-year period, uh, BlackBerry went from being worth... Oh, you know, 50 to $60 billion down to about $500 million. They crashed to zero in two years, pretty much. The company was completely wiped out. And they tried everything they could in a game of too little, too late. They went to a touchscreen. Didn't work properly. 
They tried to update QNX. They tried to spend money on software. Was weak, didn't work properly. <clears throat> then they went and they did an Android device. Why bother? It's already been done and your competitors had better cameras, better tech, you know, better everything than your Android device. So BlackBerry effectively, by taking their eye off the ball, spending their money on hardware only and not investing in advanced software, BlackBerry had eventually and effectively signed their own death warrant against Apple and the startups. Gone. And so who are those other startups? Samsung, Google, Microsoft, you get me? These were all not traditional hardware building companies. They were software companies. Hardware's easy, software is hard. And BlackBerry found that out very quickly with their ancient QNX system that nobody really wanted or gave a shit about. So where are we today? Apple, of course, are doing amazing things. I think they were the first American or the first trillion dollar company in the world. There you go, before Aramco was floated. And they're doing amazing things. And where are BlackBerry? Well, BlackBerry are still around, right? Just like old internal combustion cars will still be around. You know, people held on to them for years, actually. I think it was Kimmy Kardashian was one of the last celebs that had a cry on social media in 2016 when her BlackBerry finally died, her last BlackBerry. Now, you wouldn't expect that she would have just been using a BlackBerry up until 16, but, you know, it was cool to be seen. You know, guys like Obama had BlackBerries and, you know, he took it to the White House with him, you know, back in the day. They held on to them. And it's like the same thing will be happening with old ice cars. People will hang on to them till they break and there are no longer parts to fix them. But the problem is disruptive technology, such as what we're seeing right now in the auto industry, comes along so fast and hits so hard and turns people's thinking upside down so quickly that once it's on the market, if you weren't prepared for it, your company that fights against it can be dead in as little as 12 months. That's a real fear here. And this is exactly what happened to a cashed up Titans like BlackBerry. The taps just turned off and you can argue all you want that the infrastructure isn't there and that the network isn't there and that the charging grid is and that it's electrical grid isn't there that this got solved so quickly and so seamlessly that nobody even remembers that that was an issue for the first iphones now you have to go and dig around in archival you know recordings and, and footage to even see that that happened and that apple were getting their butts kicked for it this like nobody's going to give a shit that there ain't enough charges around right now in 10 years' time. Do you get me? Yeah, I think you're starting to now. So what's become of BlackBerry? We know where Apple are and we know where Samsung and all the Android players are. They're all doing pretty well, thank you very much. Where are BlackBerry? You'd never believe this. BlackBerry transitioned after failing totally in the race to become an automotive or, a, sorry, a telecommunication software company. They have decided to become an automotive software company. That's right. In fact, BlackBerry proudly spruke, well, in the, like their CEO, last time I looked at something on them, which is only a year or so ago, that they supply every car manufacturer in the world with advanced software systems, bar one. Uh, can you guess which one that might be? <laughs> I 
I can guess. Now, so what they do is they do, it's so, it's just so darn funny. Um, car manufacturers are getting wiped out by the likes of traditional car manufacturers, by the likes of Tesla, because of, you know, autonomous driving, ADAS systems, um, advanced uh, integration and interaction software systems inside the car, um, and advanced security features with data and comms. Guess what a BlackBerry are doing now? Autonomous driving systems, advanced security systems, integration. If you're driving your legacy BMW to work and it's a 2018 to 2020 model, you would have BlackBerry code running your infotainment system. I shy you not. That's right. It is incredible to think that the company that failed at software are now a software company. So it shows that indeed companies can transition. And according to those in the know that I've spoken to that do car software things, QNX doesn't actually seem that bad. It seems like it's, you know, they're getting out there and they're making a little bit of money and their share price is still like zero compared to what it was in the lofty days. But car manufacturers, because they have no software technology or very, very little, are scrabbling to grab anyone they can to make sure that there's a future for them and that they're alive in a couple of years' time. Because you see, this disruptive technology is coming so fast that everyone eventually is going to suffer in, in the game of making cars. Well, those that haven't moved. Take, for example, before we sign out today, take, for example, Mazda. That innovative company of the 60s and 70s with rotors and some great sports cars and RX-7s and all of this cool shit that they did are now on the verge of shutting their doors. Their market share has halved over the past few years. Countries like Australia that were strong for them just doesn't want to know the cars anymore. They've come out publicly and said they're investing into 2000 or 2030 and beyond with internal combustion engines, which no one wants. No one wants their cars now. And they've made a an EV that is the worst EV on the market, even worse than Toyota's EV, the BZX4 or whatever it is, the thing they named so badly that no one will want it. And they're all the ones, these companies that don't have a product haven't invested in software and can see the gun now pointed at their head when markets won't let them sell the cars in 2030 and beyond. I mean, where do they think they're going to sell these bloody things? You're not selling in America and you're not selling in Europe and you've been obliterated in China. Where do you think you're going to sell a car? Adelaide? Yeah, good luck with that. Not even we want this crap anymore. So yeah, it's a very, very dangerous time and it's all of the players such as Toyota, such as Mazda, uh, to a degree, Nissan, but, you know, they they have pulled their finger out a bit, that haven't invested in the technology, that are now crying about how unfair it is, and we're going to keep going with our ice stuff forever. We're going to keep making hardware, and we're not going to design software. We'll take it from some little old fat guy in Adelaide. I ain't real smart compared to you guys up there that run these big car companies, but history repeats. It will always repeat. It's always going to repeat. And unfortunately, right now, if you look at it and, and see the way it's playing out, these companies, these traditional companies that are now fighting against the transition, fighting pointlessly against the disruption, they are on the wrong side of history. 
And when you're on, on the wrong side of history, you know what it means? It means it's just plain wrong and it ain't going to work out for you. So thank you for, the, for listening to this fairly uh, serious epicast of Range Anxiety. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, next time we'll have Hi Babe back in the saddle.